Finds Us podcast. Today we have Lauren Pearson and Emily Lassiter from The Wealth Edit on our podcast to talk all things finance. Women, especially from the South, have a hard time talking about money and we want to help change that. Lauren worked at Merrill Lynch for almost nine years as a wealth management advisor and financial planner. She started Somerset Advisory in 2016, which is a boutique financial firm. And Emily worked as a lawyer and private wealth advisor before joining the Wealth Edit in December 2019. They both live in Alabama like mom and where I grew up. Thank you all so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having us. So happy to be here. So Lauren, let's start with you. Do you want to walk us through your background and where you got the idea to start the Wealth Edit? Sure. So always in my um, my practice at, you know, at a big wirehouse firm and now at Somerset Advisory, we have served a lot of women. And I think that's because I am a woman um, and there's very few of us, particularly in the Southeast. Um, if you look at it, the statistics overall, there's only 14% of CFPs, that certified financial planners, who are female and client facing. So the statistics are just not that great. So um, serving women has always been a large part of our practice. Uh, so that that's kind of where I've started, I guess, is just in my private practice. But sometimes women would come in and for whatever reason, it wouldn't be a, a fit for my private practice. But then I'd say, you know what? You need to go over and invest with Sally Krawcheck. You need to go to Elvest and invest those dollars and call it a day. And they wouldn't go, even if I, even if I um, offered to help them with asset allocation, which is you know, what percentage of stocks, what percentage of bonds you need in a portfolio. So what I realized is that because you know money is sort of the last taboo, uh, that people just women just didn't feel comfortable talking about it, and there was a gap between when a woman decided she needed to see an advisor and when she actually felt comfortable investing, and that's really the gap that the wealth edit is is trying to fill. And the other thing is is that financial services because it was kind of built by men for men, um, you know, they really don't know how to deal with the fact that now women own or, you know, control most of the money in the United States. And so what they do is they, they have these female programs that are just basically like what was built by men for men. And they just tie it in a pink bow or they say, okay, ladies, here's your conference or whatever it is. But what, in my experience, in my private practice, not all women's, um, paths, are the same. So that's the other thing that we do in the Wealth Edit is we solve for that in that Emily and I are, are great friends and we look a lot alike. And if you met us at dinner, you would you would think we were very similar. Um, but really, our financial stories are very different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Emily, do you want to walk us through your career path and how you found the Wealth Edit? Maybe just because y'all were friends. Yeah, um, so I kind of came to the wealth that it through the back door, I'd like to think. <laughs> but um, so I practiced law for about 10 years and um, then had a, my husband passed away about six years ago. And at that point, I decided that I needed to take a, pr a break from practicing law just because it wasn't a great fit for the single mom life. Mm -hmm. And really took about two years to just think about what I wanted to do next with my career. 
and through just a series of really interesting events and um, <laughs> really just kind of coincidence if you look back. It's, it's really neat um, how it worked out, but I realized that there was a real need for uh, advisors to serve women who had gone through similar hmm. um, things that I had. So, you know, you have the widow community and I was talking to a lot of them just through, you know, connecting through word of mouth and mm -hmm. they would ask me questions and a lot of them were legal questions. Um, but they would ask me a financial question and, um, because my, my dad is a financial advisor, mm -hmm. I would say, Oh, well, you know, my financial advisor helps me with that. Does yours not? And I realized that there was really, um, there was a, a gap in the market to serve these women and to really work with them on even just like the practical application of mm -hmm. what their advisors were saying. So the advisors might be, you know, great at telling them how they needed to then invest their money, but they're not all of them really engaged in the practical, like budgeting and walking through how to get new life insurance and really like prompting them for their next mm -hmm. steps that they needed to take. And so, um, I started sort of researching the market and a good friend of, of Lauren and I introduced us and said, listen, y'all need to meet. Y'all are so much alike. Your passions are the same. Y'all would be a great fit. And at the time, Lauren was just starting Hightower, so really wasn't in a position to hire me. And I definitely needed a salary. So <laughs> I sort of went in a different direction, but with Lauren sort of mentoring me through it. So we, our relationship, we say we've had the longest dating relationship of any business partners ever. But finally, um, well, and I, I went to work with another group and, but again, just through a different a set of circumstances with Lauren's business and having somebody leave, she had um, the ability to hire me. And so even though it was a little bit sooner than we thought, I just jumped in with her at Hightower Somerset. And one of the main factors that drew me there was the wealth that it is because I knew Lauren was working on this and I love serving women and families and helping them prepare. But I also love to be able to help that sector of the market that maybe isn't ready to hire an advisor or maybe doesn't have the um, funds to do so. So the wealth that it, allows us to do that, but then also it gave us both an outlet to write some articles that we both had had brewing for a really long time. And so when I got to join the the Hightower team, I also got to join the Wealth Edit team. So it, that's sort of how I came in through the back door. <laughs> that's wonderful. It is. And so one of the first questions that we have is, with lifestyle, how can we, one, find a way to make the salary that we need in order to have the lifestyle that we hope for, but also how do you even know what kind of salary that, what that number would be? Okay, it's kind of crazy that you're asking that question because this was the, the my newest article that I wrote, um, and we are about to put it up on the website so we can reference that, but I, this was really an interesting phenomenon for me. So I, my dad is a financial advisor. So we, I had worked with him and we had gone through my budget sort of step by step, figured out um, how much I needed to make mm -hmm. and sort of took into consideration both my living expense needs and my long-term needs. Mm -hmm. 
So like how much I wanted to save, um, how much we, you know, just the, I have two girls really thinking sure. through the college expenses and how we wanted to handle those. And we came up um, with a number. And so my number was between 85,000 and a hundred. Um, and so when I went out into the workforce, knowing that I didn't want to go back into the practice of law, I started interviewing and at my first interview, I, they said, you know, that question that always comes up, well, how much do you want to make? Okay. And I was armed with my number and it was very effective in every interview and that resulted in a job offer. They offered me that number or more. Wow. Um, and so what was interesting is that, again, just in talking to other women that were sort of following the same path, I would ask them that question and they were, they looked at me sort of with a blank stare, like what you can do that. <laughs> and I, I was like, absolutely. I mean, it's so important to know that number. And I think that number is important for two reasons. One is people want to help you. Uh, I, just as humans, that's, I think a lot of our just core desires is to want to help. And so when they hear that you've really thought it through, not only do they feel confident like helping you and meeting you there, but also I think it sends the message that, okay, she's serious. She's ready to get back to work. She's taking providing for her family um, seriously. And this is not just like a passing whim of like, oh, I think I'm bored at home. I might want to go back to work. This is this is what I, you know, these are my goals. These are my aspirations. This is what I want to make. This is where I want to be in five years, et cetera. So that's um, how I handled it. And that's what we just wrote in our most recent article, because we just felt like it was important for women to hear that. Mm -hmm. And Delia, I have a funny story from my 20s that's kind of similar. So if you have people in your 20s that are just trying to, you know, maybe they aren't going to be in this job forever, but I was working for a healthcare think tank in Washington, D.C., and I was making like $24,000 a year. Yeah. And I was working so hard, 80-hour days, and this guy was trying to recruit me away to um, this, this group of um, business publications. And so he said, well, how much do you want to make? And I remember being, you know, because we're taught not to talk about money. I remember being kind of thrown off by the question and then thinking about it. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have anything to lose. I'm just going to double it. So I said, I want to make $50,000 starting out. And he laughed like it was too little. And so I think oh, it's wow. really important to kind of know to, to like what Emily said. At any stage, whether you're in early career, mid-career, late career, re-entering the workforce, to just kind of have that, okay, do your homework and really have something to stand on because you never know. I mean, I was shocked by that. Yes. And just don't yeah. underestimate the message that that's sending to your employer as well. Right. Like right. the confidence that you have in yourself and just your goals. Right. Exactly. And that you're knowledgeable about the subject. Exactly. And obviously do be like mindful of, <laughs> of, of you know, I'm an attorney. I, I knew that to ask for a salary in that range was, you know, very standard in the industry. Right. Right. Asking for $400,000. <laughs> but sure. it, it is, you know, you have to do your research, figure out what is a good standard salary and then anything else that you have to bring to the table, factor it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you know men would do that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It like rolls off the tongue. <laughs> right, right. 
Well, okay, this is kind of going in another direction, but how can we learn how to invest in the stock market? Yeah, so I think that the first thing is just, I think women can learn anything. And so just kind of don't discount that like, oh, you know, my husband does that or I'm not interested in that. I was a journalism major before I got into finance. And so I really think that we as women have the incredible ability to pivot and learn things, you know, for example, right now I'm a mother of, of three and I have, I'm homeschooling. Well, I didn't know how to homeschool until like four weeks ago. And so we're, we're all learning things constantly. And so it's very, very important for women to understand their financial position. And so if you're interested in the market, even a little bit, you can set up accounts at Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, there's all these places. And what I always recommend is find a stock that you're interested in. So almost treat it like you're buying, you know, this, a really nice handbag or something that would kind of connect with your audience that, you know, you, when you're, when I'm buying a nice piece of jewelry, something mm -hmm. that you're going to investigate, something that you really, really like, um, which there's lots of companies, like if your kid always wears, I don't know, a certain clothing brand and you feel like that's mm -hmm. going to be a sustainable thing, then, you know, you can always do that and then just treat it like, um, like an investment piece because what the statistics now because everyone's investing a lot in index funds for the most part um there's the the turnover for stocks people used to hold a stock for an average of six years and now they do for six months that's too wow. short and so i actually think that women are very very good at this kind of deciding you're going to invest in something and then just keep it unless there's something that goes wrong with that mm -hmm. company. So I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, okay, I have a portfolio of four stocks that I really, really like starting out, you know, make sure it's not your entire net worth that requires a larger mm -hmm. conversation. But if you're just kind of dipping your toe in, I don't think that's a bad place to start. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. And are there any financial terms that we should know? <laughs> yes, that I'll answer that one too. Um, so I, I think that two really important things to know about yourself as an investor. The first is your risk tolerance. Risk tolerance is, I kind of explain it like when you're young, you often use the left-hand lane when you're driving your car. You feel confident driving a little bit faster. And then when you're my age, middle-aged, and you have three kids in the backseat, you know, I'm more than likely in the middle lane. I still have to get places at some, you know, at some time mm -hmm. in the day. Um, but, I, you know, I need to keep a little bit more safety. And then the you know, right hand lane is reserved for those who are kind of in a slower period of time. Risk, risk tolerance works a lot like that. So understanding, you know, are you okay with the, the ups and downs of the market and, and having, that's called volatility, you know, ha having a lot of that in your portfolio. Usually when you're younger, you have more of an appetite for that. And then as you get to, to continue to generate wealth over your, your lifetime, sometimes maybe you're more in the middle. And then as you're moving into retirement, that slow lane is, is usually better. Um, so, you know, of course, we don't give individualized financial advice on the internet or in podcasts, but, but that's just a good kind of rule of thumb. So I think that's called risk tolerance. And there's lots of quizzes online. If you just Googled risk tolerance or find my risk tolerance, um, 
you, there's lots of um, quizzes where you can get really close to what it should be. And then from there, I think another term that women, um, if they could get comfortable with, especially if they're in a relationship with an advisor that maybe they don't feel comfortable asking these questions to, something that a lot of advisors um, want to talk about all the time is asset allocation. And that's the percentage of stocks and bonds and cash that you have and maybe some other things that you have in your portfolio. So asset allocation is really, um, that is based on your risk tolerance. So it's good to kind of know both of those terms. And, um, and if you don't know, it's okay to ask. I mean, I think if you're ever in a relationship with an advisor and you ask a question like, I don't really understand risk tolerance and, and they kind of don't give mm -hmm. you a receptive answer, then it's time to switch. Yeah. And I mean, yes. I am new to the industry, sort of speaking, meaning that I haven't been in it for as long as Lauren has. And so my ear is always tuned to that. And so Lauren and I work very hard um, to kind of read the client as we're talking to them to figure out what their um, comfort level is with those terms. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we really try to speak without the jargon, but that is something that you really have to try because once you've been in the industry so long, you almost don't even realize you're doing it. So people need to definitely feel comfortable to ask their advisor to say, hey, can you back up just one minute and explain that? Yes. That's always a fair question. Yeah, that's that's so true. It's kind of like some of my clients will tell me, consider that we know nothing, absolutely nothing, because you think, well, I know they know this. No, they don't, and and you don't ever want to make them feel bad about that. So that's, that's so important that you all are cognizant of that and that you are, you know, instinctively reading these people to make them feel comfortable and you know, that in turn makes them feel confident. Exactly. And before you mentioned an index fund, so do you want to expand on what that is? Yeah, so an index fund is just a basket of stocks that uh, you might have heard of the S&P 500. Uh -huh. So it's it's following this grouping of stocks, and, and there's lots of different ones that people follow, but we'll just use the S&P 500. So it's, you know, the this list of let's say 500 companies and you buy them in a basket and so you can buy it one index fund but you're really getting a, a um, basically a conglomeration of 500 stocks and so instead of buying each one individually you're saying okay this is what the market's going to do so whether the market goes up or the market goes down you're going to get exactly what that particular um index fund does um it's not a bad way to start on investing by any means Okay. Okay. And then Lauren, so how did you learn about the financial industry since you didn't start in it or study it in school? Yeah, that's a really great question. I, you know, I was moved, my husband and I met in um, Washington, D.C., and I had all these aspirations to take over the journalism industry. And uh, then he said, will you marry me? And we're going to move to Beaufort, South Carolina. And so that's a town of about 12,000 people that we love dearly. But mm -hmm. unless you are a doctor, a lawyer, or um, independently wealthy, there's really not much for you to do there. Mm -hmm. um, I, and so it was important at the time I was young. I didn't have any kids. I've always worked. So I knew I wanted to be a worker. And um and it was just, it was one of those kind of easy access points uh, of entry. And so they basically just throw you up against a wall and see who sticks. And I stuck. <laughs> um, and so I just learned, you know, it was, I had some really great 
mentors. I had a woman in Hilton Head who, um, who really took the time to just answer all of my questions, teach me how to be successful at this and to run a really responsible practice. And so I, I really attribute so much to her. That's so important to have that mentorship. It's the fact that we are not dumb. It's just that this language and this whole industry mm -hmm. that maybe we haven't been exposed to and the right. fact that somebody will take the time to sit there and teach it to you because it's, you can definitely learn it. So that's really incredible that you had that. Mm -hmm. I know. I'm very grateful. And tell us what are the goals with the wealth edit? Yes. Oh, we're so, we're just so excited because this is such a huge need. And, and, you know, because we're taught as women as particularly in the South and, you know, and for your New York um, people, the Southerners at heart, and maybe it's like this for in New York too. But what I would say is like, we're just taught not to talk about it. We're taught that it's tacky, that it's taboo. And so there's, it really puts us at a huge disadvantage. And so what we've tried to create with the wealth edit, you go in, you take a quiz and that's where you get that little path that I was talking about. And we've named them different things like Heidi and Sarah and Prim. And so you'll get to see all the um, explanations if you go to the website, but um, you start there and then what I think is really neat about it is there's a membership. So, so you actually are a member of the wealth edit. And so you're going to talk to other women in your, what we call glide path that are like you and ask it. It's nice to know while everyone's different, there are certain paths. Other people are going through some of the same things you are. So it's a membership and then it's also private. So, you know, you don't have to, maybe you don't go from just, you know, talking about money, feeling comfortable with that overnight, it gives you kind of that bridge to learn about some things that you might want to learn about um, in a private environment, whether that's through kind of slowly digesting our content over time or talking to just a few people who might be on the same path as you. Uh, but it just gives people a, a kind of sense. So that's kind of my vision is to create this community more than anything where women can um, build a confidence in talking about financial issues. That's great and so important. And how do you both balance motherhood and starting slash running a company? <laughs> well, it's, it's um, not always pretty, but you know, so many people are doing it now, especially with the COVID-19 and all of us being at home and homeschooling and working. And so it's been kind of fun to watch that, you know, all of us, you know, the struggle is real. We all are having zoom calls and you know, somebody comes in in the background and it's like, I've got to print off my, my science worksheet right now while you're having a meeting with a client, you know, all those things. And I, I kind of have enjoyed that side of it because it has brought some, you know, humanity into each of our lives and just reminding us all that we do have a family life that's going on. Mm -hmm. behind right. Scenes. So I kind of think that if we were trying to look for a small silver lining and everything that's been going on over the last month, I can definitely say that I've seen that, but, you know, trying to, from, for myself, I've had an interesting life just because over the last few years, I've decided to shift careers and being a single mom and having my two girls, I have laughingly told them, Hey, you know, like we're, we're kind of hanging on by a thread, but I think I'm going to go back to school, so to speak, you know, getting my licenses and stuff, change my career. And, you know, y'all just hang on. It's going to be fun. You know, 
and, and what we've had to do is just, you know, make it more of an adventure and, and hopefully, and really I talk to them about this all the time. I want to prepare them for life. And, you know, what my picture for what I was going to be doing at 45 is not at all what I'm doing, but I'm absolutely mm -hmm. loving what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, working and juggling, I, for me, I think the best advice that I could give somebody that was trying to do that is to allow your family to join you, not keep it completely mm -hmm. separate. So my girls are with me. They know we're in here doing a podcast, which they think is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> but you know, it's part of it. They love it. And so, you know, that's one of the ways I think the balance, it, it helps with the balance of it if they feel like they're a part of it. Mm -hmm. And I would echo that too. I, I feel like my girls are as much of a part of Somerset and, and the wealth edit as, as I am. I mean, that we just kind of lube them in and it's, um, it's a family business, right? So, so they're mm -hmm. learning from a young age, just that, that this is part. And I also really like that it shows them that they can do whatever they want. Right. I, when I want them, absolutely. when they grow up, I just want them, whether they want to work inside the home or outside the home, that that they have choices. And so that's what I hope I'm um, modeling for them. Absolutely. It makes me think of, uh, um, I don't know if y'all saw the movie One Fine Day with Michelle Pfeiffer a long time ago and um, George Clooney and she had a very important job, but she was trying to balance being a single mom and uh, it was all men and they, you know, they didn't allow her to take time off to run to her son's ball game or whatever it was, I think she ended up quitting the job. But when you are working with other women and you are advising them on a Zoom call, or whatever else, and your children come in and you take time to work with them, like you're not embarrassed that you have children and they totally get that you have children and that makes them feel more safe with you because, you know, they do too. So, you know, in business, it's always been like, you know, how in the world? Are you going to balance this? And certainly don't let anybody know that you're struggling at all with it. Yeah. And I no. think that that's, that's a really good point. And I think this build, this business for us, uh, particularly in our private practice is so self-selecting. So I think that people come to us because they see us taking great care of our families. And so right. then they think we're, they're probably going to take great care of our family too. And so, right. so that's, I really think that that is, is a encouragement. Yes. And we also try to, within our practice, you know, we have women and men that feel very comfortable stopping by very casually. You know, there's a lot of drop-in um, kind of company, so to speak. <laughs> Thinking about my roots from Montgomery, Alabama. Um, and then, but they also are not dressed. I mean, you know, like they might come in after having worked out or on their lunch uh -huh. break or right before they pick the kids up from school. And so instead of feeling like they have to you know, be dressed and come into a corporate environment. Mm -hmm. It's very much um, the type we, we try to create an atmosphere that allows people to feel like they're just, you know, they're, and they are a part of our business on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's not just sure. a professional relationship. That's great. Why is it important for women to become financially independent and plan instead of relying on someone else? Well, I can take this one. <laughs> so, um, so let's see where would I like to start on this? I, you know, I, I 
went to law school and practiced law. So I was always in the workforce and I loved working. But my husband and I had that relationship where he handled the investments and the large financial decisions and I was in charge of paying the bills. Mm -hmm. And we would discuss things as they came up, but um, just, or especially in the South, there's just the stereotype where the man handles the big stuff and the mm -hmm. woman handles the day-to-day -day stuff. And I, I hate this. I don't want to even use the word I allowed that to happen, but that, that was mm -hmm. how we handled our finances. Looking back, um, I wish that I had stepped in a little more because and I've, I've said this on another interview and I was like, I hate to throw my husband under the bus, but really I was probably the better one to handle all the financial decisions. I'm just, I was just much more detailed and I actually had more time. He was an attorney as well and was working crazy hours and just didn't have the time to put towards it. And so, you know, after he died, I realized there was so much I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, I was, I'm educated. I had been exposed to a lot of this stuff. I had a father who's a financial advisor and there's still so many questions. And so I would really encourage women to get involved now. It's never too late to jump in and start asking questions. And if you feel like you might be better suited to take on the role, you know, speak up. I mean, not, I think sometimes the husbands may feel um, relieved that the wife wants mm -hmm. to do that in certain situations. So I think it is just one of those things that looking back, I wish I had done more of. And I've also said that you know, also being the one, the sole provider at this point in my life for my children, I also would have extended a lot more grace to my spouse because it's it's a hard place to be and there's a lot of pressure there and um you know so just not only by coming in and, and learning for your own sake for your spouse's sake to feel as if you have a partner in that takes that pressure off of them as well and allows y'all to carry the load together right and i think too the fact that um no one ever knows what's going to happen and if something happens like what happened to you and you have no clue where to even begin to figure things out, you know, that's a very scary place to be. So it's just knowledge is, is power. Knowledge is, you know, it just, it's security and safety and it makes things a lot easier when there is some sort of emergency situation or, you know, a life altering situation. Absolutely. And I also think it's, you know, that phenomenon where you, you know, you need to like go on a diet or, you know, you need to mm -hmm. exercise every day and you just really don't want to do it. And <laughs> yeah. so you don't do it. And like mm -hmm. every morning you wake up and you're like, okay, today I'm going to do better. And then right. you get to the end of the day and you feel kind of like down on yourself because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And right. finally one day you just wake up and you're like, I'm going to do this. And you start exercising or you start mm -hmm. eating right and you all of a sudden realize like this is so empowering like I have control mm -hmm. over this situation 
And it's so counterintuitive to like how our minds work because we're like, I don't want to do that. That's going to be so hard. But really when you get in the middle of doing it, all of a sudden, like the weight lifts off, like figuratively. And (laughs) if you're on a diet, but you know what I mean? It's like the weight of knowing that you're like, if you, if you're not engaged in your finances and you feel like you need to be, and you don't do it, there's just that heavy kind of weight. And so when you start engaging in it, it's there, it's, it's, empowering. You know you're and doing the right thing. Freeing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you don't wake up in the middle of the night worried about it because you know the answer to it, or at least you right. know where you can find the answer to it. That makes perfect sense. Well, what, what is the comeback theory? Well, so the comeback theory, um, and Lauren and I can both discuss this because it applied to both <laughs> of us, but we have from very different directions. So the comeback theory is uh, well actually Lauren I'm gonna let you start because I like your how it how where the term came from yeah so it was funny I was sitting with a friend of mine Whitney Wright and she owns a jewelry company it's called Elia Fullman and we were talking about how the the stock market is a lot like women's careers oftentimes you know like men's careers they just kind of like go up a hill and that's kind of it but um for a lot of women we go through these periods of time where it's like everything changes so for me kind of going back to that journalism example you know there uh, there i was i'd been offered this awesome job in san francisco i also get proposed to and and choose that because i love my husband um (laughs) but you know it just like my whole everything that i built up as that part of my identity um was not coming with me to my next stage and so we realized that, you know, like the market goes up and down. We've seen it go up and down. A lot of times we're afraid to take a risk when things are down, when really that's exactly the moment where we should take a risk. So, you know, right now, for example, if people are like, oh, I'm scared the stock market's down, who knows where it's going to go tomorrow? Well, it's a great question. Who knows where it's going to go tomorrow? But what we do know is that what's actually happening is we're just mourning what we've already lost. So I think that what we've come up with is this, we basically put it in a course on the wealth edit that you can buy separately, but like it comes as part of your membership as the wealth edit. But, you know, when you do this kind of ebb and flow, kind of taking that moment and we walk you through it, but taking that moment of, okay, I've lost something. I'm acknowledging that I've lost it, but what are the steps I can take right now to, make sure my next thing I float up higher than I was before. So anyway, that's, um, yeah, anyway, I hope that that's a good way of saying it. Yeah, that's a great, great analogy, a great yeah. way to put it. Um, with the comeback theory, what we were hoping to do was to build a course and really walk through our members through some of the practical steps. So we start with um, practical financial habits and then we talk about how you can find your purpose, which could help you lead you to maybe if you know you want to do something different than what you're doing now, but aren't sure about it, kind of walking you through that path. Then we also spend a lot of time talking about the pivot and what that means and how we as women are especially equipped to do that. And we need to lean into it. We also kind of dig into how to stay sane during the pivot because it is a, a, it can be draining both physically and emotionally, especially when you put yourself out there and you're not sure exactly um, 
how they're going to perceive you. Mm -hmm. And then also talking about finding your tribe and about how you can create a group around you that's supporting you. And those can be personally, you know, a group of friends that you have that are supporting you, but then also professionally and how to, um, network. Cause I think a lot of us, especially me as an attorney, I've never really had to use networking skills. And so that was something new that I've had to learn over the last few years. And, and then, and there's definitely an art to it. So we really try to dig in there. And then we really just try to encourage women just and to let them know that, you know, they've got this, like we've said over and over again, mm-hmm. women are definitely well equipped to pivot. It's just who we are and what we do. And we do have so many life changes coming at us and just letting them know that there are, there's so many of us that are doing this right now and that we can do it and that we need to find those others and just join together and move forward. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's wonderful. It is. So that's perfect segue into the next question, which is what should we be doing to get our finances in order? Yeah. So we really, we really recommend starting with just creating some practical financial habits. We actually have a little podcast with one of our favorite people, Helen Owens, who's just very gifted in that way. And we'll send you the link. So if someone just wants 20 minutes on maybe where to start, um, that would be a great place to, to begin. And then what we really like to do is kind of walk people through, okay, count how many things you buy in a day and write them down twice. So it's almost like if you've ever done this, if you've dieted or just tried to watch what you eat or how much working out you're going to do or anything like that, you know, we really recommend, okay, take the notes in your phone. And if you go to target and spend, you know, $35 and 14 cents on things that you need around the house. You put that down in your phone because it's with you. And then that night you keep more of a, a formal journal of like, these are the things that I've, that I've purchased today. So then you can start to see patterns. What's really important, what's less important um, and just create a general awareness. So I think just an awareness is first, just like anything in life. Um, and then we want you to kind of rank. So we, we recommend to our members that they rank their once you have two weeks worth of this data, kind of go through and saying, okay, you know what? Like maybe I really love my bike membership, but I don't need a bike membership and workout classes because I'm not doing the workout classes. You know, just start to make mm-hmm. some decisions um, and then rinse and repeat. So keep, keep doing that. And then separating your spending categories into, we really like this. And this is on the podcast that I was talking about. Um, but expenses monthly, your, some of your annual expenses. These are things, bigger ticket items, um, kids camps, taxes, things like that. So you want to make sure you have that saved. So when your credit card, when they charge you, you're like, wow, that was a big expense and I hadn't planned for that. We almost want you to pre-plan for that and take whatever that is expenses, divide it by 12. So you're, by the time it comes up, you're ready. Um, Mm -hmm. and then have a big, miscellaneous account because things do come up. So you want to make sure that you have um, a miscellaneous account. Sometimes this is called an emergency fund um, where you have three to six months net uh, saved up for a rainy day, something that you, you might need. We like that, um, that as a start. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great place to start. And then anything you have left over, particularly when you're young, it's so great to get in the habit of investing. I remember someone told me, and I was, it was the best advice, and it was a colleague, 
when I was 22 at that healthcare think tank, you know, they said, you've got to participate in the 401k. I'm like, I can't barely eat. You know, I'm living in Washington, D.C. It's so expensive. I can't save for my 401k. And they said, well, we are really leaving money on the table. And so what I started out with, truly, I started out with 1% that they took out. And that was, realized I didn't miss it, 2%, 3%. And then it became like a game to try to get to maxing out your 401k. And I think that is a great game to play with yourself. So um, I would highly recommend that. Wonderful, which leads perfectly into the next question, which is how can we create a budget? Yeah, I mean, so Helen Owens is, again, we're just going to refer back to that podcast because she did a great job of talking about that. But, you know, if you, like Lauren was just saying, it's so important to be aware of what you're spending. That's the first step. Mm -hmm. Women, I think, are just, you know, again, there's so many needs that come at you, especially as a mother. You know, you're like, oh, well, I've got to pay this. Oh, I've got to pay this. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's the end of the day and you haven't had time to cook dinner. And so then you just grab something on the go. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of this cycle. And there's always a, a lack of enough hours in the day to do what you need to do. So it's something that you have to decide, like, very like mindfully, this is what I'm going to focus on this month. And, you know, just being aware of what you spend is sort of half the battle. It was for me for sure. And then also, you know, as Lauren was saying, go through your monthly and your annual and your miscellaneous expenses and make sure that you have a log of all that. But then after that, budgeting is sort of a personal thing. Everybody does it differently. I know for myself, I absolutely cannot stand the budget where, you know, I have a hundred dollars a month to spend on my hair, you know, and I've allocated it like that. That just does not, that's not how we operate in my family. I'm just not that detailed. I just don't keep up with it. I don't have time to do that. And so for us, I have found that like bucket budgeting is best. So I usually have like a set amount that goes into my bank account every month that I'm that is my spending money and I will watch that. And if I, we get to the, you know, towards the mid month and I've spent more than I've more than half, you know, I might cut back. So I might say, you know what, this week we're not eating out girls like this, you know, so mm-hmm. because there's just always, there's so much miscellaneous in my life. I feel like my Absolutely. life. Is mm-hmm. So, you know, and then if at the end of the month we realize that we've, you know, done really well that month and we want to go splurge on something, we can do that. Or if we want to set more aside, like in our vacation fund, we can do that mm-hmm. as well. And so for, for me, that just works better. I am not one to want to keep up. So, you know, I think you just kind of have to get in there and start trying. But I definitely feel like the first step is being aware of what you spend. And being aware of what what are the things that are going to sabotage you that keep sabotaging you? Is it that going out to dinner thing when you're tired? Keep a frozen pizza in the freezer or something for those nights. Exactly. And each of us have a different thing. You know, some people just love to spend money on, you know, different types of things like gym memberships or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, and they're getting a manicure just, every week. Yeah. Or a manicure every week. And they're, and I mean, if I don't know, being in quarantine for the last month, I found that there's a lot of like monthly expenses I could probably right. shave down just a little bit that I'm really right. not missing. So, right. and then you can That's put it into, 
and you can put it into something that you really care about. And that's what happens to me. A lot of times I'm so tired that I'm just kind of throwing money at a problem where really if you mm -hmm. kind of lift out of that cycle and you say like, Oh, I really want to invest in my wardrobe, like make that a goal. Mm -hmm. And then, then it's, you're going to find more satisfaction spending your money than kind of the haphazard spending where you're just kind of fatigued by the whole thing. Yeah. It's like if you go to CVS, you're like, oh, I probably need lotion. Oh, I probably need this. Right. And you just <laughs> yes. get a bunch of stuff. And then you realize, well, now I can't buy the skirt. So if you have exactly. that in mind and you like balance it against it, you know, all the time, keeping that skirt or that car or whatever it is in your mind, you buy a lot less. I really don't need that Starbucks coffee today. You know, that kind of thing I bet. Right. Absolutely. What tips do y'all have for getting comfortable talking about money? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that you just have to sort of begin to put yourself out there. I mean, we, not to be a shameless plug, but we hope the Wealth Edit is a good place for people to start that conversation. You know, maybe it's online. Maybe it's um, that there's, that you just kind of are brave with a friend and say like, oh my gosh, have you, I've been thinking so much about money. You know, like, what do you think about it? And just maybe asking someone that you trust um, someone that you think is good with money. This is one of Helen's tips too, is like, just, just like anything in life. Like if you want to move up the ladder in your corporation, you're probably going to find some people that you feel like are, are um, doing that well or, or who are really hustling. So the same thing is true with money. If you see a friend that's really good with money um, or you think they are, you perceive it that way, then maybe say like, Hey, you know, I really noticed this about you and I want to be more like that too. Mm -hmm. Just having some vulnerability in that. I think it's just starting the conversation. And our hope is, is that the more people like if, if you can just take that first brave step, then maybe it'll right. become more just common in the way that we discuss things. And I think that would make us all better. Mm -hmm. And I also think that um, getting comfortable with talking about money, it, you also have to get comfortable with your role in the money and that you do a have a role because I, I watched this phenomenon. So being married, it was my, you know, both of us were earning an income, but it was very personal. You know, mm -hmm. this was uh, us as a couple, sure. this was our lives and we were not going to talk about it. And it was not okay to do that. I would never like step on my husband's toes, whether or not that was correct or not. That was what was going on in my mind. Well, when Joe died, all of a sudden I'm the sole breadwinner here and I've got all these decisions in front of me to make. And I was completely confident talking about that to somebody else. I mean, I had a role in this. It was now my responsibility and buddy, I was going to go out there and find some people who could answer questions. I was calling widows all over the place. Like, what'd y'all do about health insurance? Or, you know, did you immediately go out and get more life insurance or whatever? I mean, I was asking all of these questions and I remember stopping one day and thinking like, wow, this is so interesting. Like I'm completely comfortable talking about it. And it was because all of a sudden I felt like it was my role to do so. And we, as women are, you know, we're talkers. A lot of times, most of us really enjoy engaging in that conversation and bouncing ideas off others. And so I guess for me, it's trying to find that balance where even women that, um, you know, single women, I think it might be a little bit easier to talk to because they're really actively trying to solve other's problems alone. But, yeah. you know, even married women or, you know, women that are in a dual income situation that 
they realize that it's really important for them to start the conversation, that they do have a role in it. And so it's kind of finding, and that's what Lauren and I, one of the things that we're hoping to accomplish with the wealth that it is to, for, to get women to see like how important those conversations are to have. But again, like in this private environment. That is so important. And I, I love that. And what about, are there any books that you would recommend to, for someone that wants to get started learning about finance? Yeah. So there's one that I really like. It's this guy named Carl Richards and he does the little sketches on cocktail napkins. And so it's an easy read. It's a light read. And his first book is called The Behavior Gap. And really, if you're going to become an investor, Investor behavior, it's kind of like, you know, they say diet is 80% of it and, or, and exercise is 20%. It's the same thing here. It's like, I would say behavior is 80% of investing and 20% is actually your returns because th that's where people lose money is their behaviors. It's, it's not necessarily, I mean, sometimes it's that, you know, the market goes down and, but if the market's going down, everybody's down at the same, you know, it's like right now with COVID, it's like everybody's homeschooling. So nobody's kids are really going to be behind. Um, and that that's the same kind of thing with investing. So I really like his book. I think it's a good one and easy to start read. Um, and I would actually recommend buying the book and not the audio because the, the sketches are such a good little visual mm -hmm. throughout. Um, and then there was a guy that I met um, who runs another advisory firm and his book is Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes and How to Avoid Them. That's another just kind of basic fundamental book that, that I feel like is, is pretty good. So, and then there's a lot of resources, you know, um, I, I mentioned her before, but I think Elvis has some great investing, early stage investing resources for women. Um, and they're going to be catered to women, which I think is, is really a nice thing. So, um, those are three that I think are, are good places to start. Thank you. Yeah, that all sounds great. So if you're married and you aren't involved with the finances, but you want to be, how can you approach that topic? And, and I think we had talked about this before, but you know, in the beginning, when I started my business, it was like, oh, that's her little business. And I can imagine a lot of wives might say to their husbands, I need to know more about our, you know, our, our stock portfolio and our um, net wealth or whatever all the terms are. And I could see just as easily, especially at a certain age, husband saying, oh, you don't need to worry about that, honey. If something happens to me, just talk to our, you know, our stock broker or whatever. You know, how do you how do you approach the topic and, and get people to take you seriously that you are capable and you are interested in learning more about it, being a part of it? Yeah. And that's a great question. And I think you just have to be your own advocate. <laughs> you just really mm -hmm. do. But also, I mean, I think a great place to start is just to ask to go to the meetings with mm -hmm. your financial advisor or call them and ask them if they'll meet with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of times our, our husbands are relying on their advisors. You know, they're not doing it themselves. And so mm -hmm. if you're in that type of situation, pick up the phone and call the advisor and say, you know what, I, I mean, obviously, you know, tell your husband you're doing it, but just say, yeah. I really want to take the time to understand what's going on in our financial world. And would mm -hmm. you make some time to help me um, go through it? And sometimes Perfect. that can be done really well, you know, without the spouse present, if he doesn't have time or 
mm-hmm. she, uh, you know, depending on <laughs> who's the yeah, that's great head of the finances. So that's something that we, and you know, I know we would welcome that call. Like that would be so exciting. Sure, I'd love to do that. Um, yeah, that's like our favorite call. Yeah, and so that, I definitely think that they need to know that. And just as a quick aside, but most of the time advisors are not paid hourly. So it's really no extra cost to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, most of the time it's a percentage based fee. And so call them up and spend the time that you need and don't be worried about getting a big bill at the end that, you know, like if you right. go see your attorney and do that, you would be worried. Sure. Oh my goodness, I'm going to get a thousand dollar bill for spending right. you know two hours with my attorney, but it's not that way with most financial advisors. So take advantage of that. Um, and then That's also great. just sit down and have the conversation with your spouse and let them know mm-hmm. that you really are interested. And I think yeah, that's those great. that really are interested, the spouse will see that. I, I'm, um, we're doing this podcast from our, from my house and I'm looking out my window at my neighbor's house. And I just had a conversation with her in the street. She's a um, dermatologist and such a, s- a smart lady and we were talking about some of this just in the street the other day and she said you know I asked my husband to sit down with me every six months and go through all of our finances and she's like he pulls out a spreadsheet and he goes through it just because I want to know what's going on and Mm -hmm. so you know it can look different but you know for each person and what works for you but just asking the questions. And I would say too, and this is in 13 years of practice, I have done 100% of my marketing to women and 50% of my clients are men. And a lot of times, and the man is coming to me and saying, I'm going to hire you because I really want my wife to be more involved in this. Like I want her to know because these men know that they're going to die for first. Statistically, that's just <laughs> great. This isn't being mm-hmm. ugly. It's just the way it is. And so mm-hmm. it's some statistic, like 90% of women will end up as the financial head of household. That's most of us. And so they mm-hmm. see that as a need too. And so I think if you're willing to just start the conversation, if you are married, um, just saying, Hey, you know, I really want to know about this and it's just communication and marriage. And I, I'd say, of the time, the spouse is going to be really receptive. Yeah, that's great. Do y'all have any tips for managing money in a crisis? And what are y'all's thoughts on where this is going? Are we going to quickly rebound? Is there going to be a recession or a depression? Yeah, that's, um, I think managing money in a crisis is, you know, and of course this is hindsight being 2020 right now because we're in a crisis, but I think having a strategy in place that you're comfortable with and that really open conversation with your advisor. So in our private practice, we've been having conversations about behavior during recessions for a year at this point. Um, And just, you know, kind of getting comfortable with, okay, if you have, let's say a million dollars saved and I say to the client, okay, well, are you comfortable with going down 25%? And they said, oh yes, of course. And I said, okay, well then that means when you open up your statement, that's going to say $750,000, you know, and their eyes kind of bug out and it's the, it's the same math. It's just, what does it look like practically for you? So I think keeping a cool head um, when markets are volatile is very, very important. Um, we have seen over the last 25 days that the market's been up, the S&P 500 is up about 23%. So it's very important to 
not to get out of the market at the wrong time because you're nervous because mm -hmm. some of the best days in the market follow some of the worst days in the market, which is why, again, going back to that strategy, it's really, really important to keep a cool head. Um, as far as where it's going, you know, gosh, there are about half of the companies in the S&P 500 are going to be um, reporting this week. So, it, you know, the news cycles can make things really difficult to kind of see the forest through the trees, mm -hmm. um, which is why it's just really important to have a true north, someone or something that you really believe in that you think, okay, if I'm going to invest, I've picked this path. I felt good about this path in the good days. So I'm going to feel good about this path in the bad days. Um, so I would say the, the one caveat to that would be if you need money for a specialized expense, let's say you need a new roof and you were not expecting that or something that you need, you want to make sure if you have a big purchase coming up that you have that in cash. Um, you don't want to get into a cycle where you're borrowing money and then having to pay yourself back. You know, it's better, you know, to have that money outside of the market if you're going to need it in the next, you know, 12 mm -hmm. to 24 months. Um, otherwise, let the market do what it's going to do and, um, and feel good about that if you've made a good plan. And as far as where it's going, gosh, I wish I could know. Um, but, uh, you know, I do think that this, we, we will continue to see this more volatility, you know, the more of up and down movement um, throughout the course of this year. Are there any financial apps that you recommend to keep track of everything? Yeah, so two that come to mind, especially if you're just trying to create an awareness and you kind of want to link up your accounts um, online, are you need a budget, if you've heard, if, if any of your members have heard of that, and then mint.com. Mint's an old one, mm -hmm. um, but it really has a lot of connections and it's free. So we have one for Somerset Advisory that, um, that we use for our clients. It's a little bit different, but, but Mint is a good, I think it's a good alternative. Wonderful. Mom, you've used Mint, right? I have. And, and it, these things are for, what are they, what are they for? I mean, I yeah, used Mint a while back and then I couldn't remember. Yeah, so it's a great place to just put everything in one place. So a lot of what happens, particularly if someone comes to us and they're in retirement, or maybe they're just kind of in midlife and they're saying, I've got to get my financial house in order. It's not mm -hmm. uncommon for someone to have multiple 401k plans, multiple mm -hmm. credit cards, multiple savings accounts, multiple bank accounts. So really it, you don't have a good sense for, for where your, your money is, or at least all of your money is and how it's working for you. So I'd say both you need a budget and men's are aggregators. So they have links to various banking institutions across the country. Um, the technology has gotten pretty good. And so you can see all of your wealth in one place. So yeah, if you're, right. if your 401k is run by Vanguard, but your bank accounts run it, um, who knows where, then yeah, you can see it all in one place. Um, yeah, so that's that's pretty good. And then, yeah. Perfect. And then those things like QuickBooks and those kinds of things, are those helpful to people? Yeah, I think so, particularly if you're a business owner. I feel like QuickBooks is just kind of the the gold standard um, in in that space. So so I think oh, okay. that that's a good one, that's too. That's for business. Okay. Yes. Now, we always love giving back, but keeping limited budgets in mind, how can we find a way to give back to our community monetarily? 
Yes, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, and I think it's okay to think outside of, particularly if you're young, to give what you can. So maybe you can't give a lot um, monetarily, but you can give your time. And also you can give other things besides money. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might have some possessions that you can give. Most charities have gotten really flexible with what they can receive. So if you love, you know, your church or the humane society or whatever it might be, you know, there's, there's some ways that you can gift some things outside of cash. Um, and it's always something to, to start the dialogue. If you're, if you're trying to give to a charity or just give to your community, you know, to figure out, to have a conversation about it and really learn the different things you can do with giving the, the tax code is incredibly generous to those who are generous. Mm-hmm. So we kind of love that. The other thing that really helps if you're giving, you know, a little bit to one place and a little bit to another place is something called a donor advised fund. Um, that can be held, uh, that can be held through fidelity. There's all the big, um, you know, banking institutions typically, or I shouldn't say banking, but custodial institutions have them, the places where you can actually have stocks and bonds. Um, but that's a really good place. Uh, what you do is you can gift into your donor advised fund. Um, and you can do say, okay, if you have $5,000 set aside for charity for the year, you can gift all 5,000 to the donor advised fund, and then you can allocate it out to different charities. What's, what's nice about this, I think, is that you, at the end of the year, you have one tax statement instead of saying, oh my goodness, I gave the United Way $200. Where's that tax certificate again? You know, mm-hmm. and it just can kind of drive you a little bit crazy at tax time. Um, so that's a, that's a really good thing to do, I think. And um, last year, I mean, my husband and I gave our car to the church, you know, so like you That's can, great. you can give all sorts of things away that you don't mm-hmm. necessarily think of that the charity can turn around um, and sell. And if you are someone that's been gifted um, stock that you've had for a long time and maybe what they call the basis, that's the amount that you bought it for is pretty low. You might be hesitant to sell it because um, you don't want to pay the taxes on it. But if you're charitable, that's another great thing that you could think about giving to your donor advised fund. That's great. So that sounds like something that probably would need to be someone advising you about that with the tax rules. That would be that would be much better if you had <laughs> <enough> that. <laughs> <laughs> that's getting a little confusing. <laughs> that's a lot. Of, that's, that's where that's, you come in. Pretty deep. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> and one thing is how in the world can we make finances feel not scary, but exciting? So for example, personally, how can you, I feel like somewhere along the way I was at some conference and they talked about let's have a good relationship with our bank account and not just (laughs) look in there every three weeks and squint your eyes and and just not even want to know what is in there. Yeah, that that is a real thing for sure. And um, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but um, like even just like jumping off, like giving, um, you know, if you're, if you don't know how much you have in the account, it's hard to like plan for things like that. So I think that one of the things that shifts from being scary to exciting is when you do take the time to know how much you have, you've taken the time to 
really examine your spending habits and where you need to be careful. You know, all of it is just, you know, knowledge is power and mm -hmm. just having some self-control around those, like when you've taken the time to pinpoint where you tend to get off track, you know, again, some of us have a harder time, you know, wanting to eat out all the time or mm -hmm. with a clothing budget or whatever it is, we need to know what our trigger points are. But as you um, begin like getting your arms around how much it is that you have, what it is um, that you need to spend on is sort of empowering because all of a sudden you've gone from having something that's really scary to, to being in control. Of right. It. And, um, and then I think where the real excitement happens is when, you know, you have been saving for that trip, or if you really did want to give a certain amount to a charity and had not felt comfortable doing so before, because you really weren't sure how much disposable income you had or what you could truly give. Um, it just becomes, it's really empowering and it's very exciting because you realize, oh my goodness, with a little bit of self-control, there is so much that I can do. And um, my dad, who's a financial advisor, I remember him telling me this in college. He said, you know, people don't go bankrupt buying like huge purchases. They go bankrupt mm -hmm. going to Target. Interesting. <laughs> I just remember him telling me that as a like newly married and, you know, I kept saying, I don't know, I don't know how we're running out of money every month. You know, we're <laughs> not buying anything big. And he's like, that, that's not where it happens, you know. It's so interesting. Most of the time, it's with those those small purchases. And just like, you know, we said, you go to CVS, and you're like, oh, I could right. do that. I did that last week. I checked out. I had spent $150. I was like, what in the world? I came in here for like some toothpaste, you know. Right, so, right. Um, you know, I, I think when you can take the time to get your arms around those those trigger points and get control of it and then realize what you can do when you when you do that, uh, you know, let's just use a big trip, for example, you know, you're like, okay, we're going to live on, we're going to try to save $500 a month so that we can all go, you know, on a big trip this summer. And then when you actually get, go on a trip and you realize that you've done it, it's just so exciting and it's so fun. And, you know, um, especially as a, as a single like, especially if you've gone from being in a dual income situation mm -hmm. to a single income, you know, whether or not it's that your spouse died or you're divorced or whatever mm -hmm. the case may be, you know, it's really scary to be in that position, especially in the beginning. But once you take control of it, you all of a sudden realize I can do this. And it's all just this journey. And it's so empowering if you can get control of it and, and have a good relationship with your bank account. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. And I would say too, that like one, one thing that, you know, if you are thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so far in debt, or I'm never going to be able to get out of this situation. It is never too late for a do-over. I mean, right, we pivot sure. it on a dime. So like, you, you know, I think today is a new day. Um, quarantine is a new experience. We've all adapted to mm -hmm. that. And the same thing can be true of your money. Like it, it, you can be empowered today to take, take, care of your money for the rest of your life. And mm -hmm. that is a good, healthy step. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great advice. That's great advice. And I think it, it's so easy to feel like, you know, the money is controlling you sort of like you can't, you know, it, it's not even that it's overwhelming. It's that it's not possible to, 
to understand yeah. it all. So you just kind of give up. And then that's when people look at their bank account and they're, I don't know what they're thinking. Some money's going to be in there that someone just, you know, nicely snuck in there for them. <laughs> you know, right. And it's yeah. never there. And it's it never very stressful. Yeah. But when you realize, you know, it is definitely within my control and it is my responsibility to do this and it will help me live, uh, you know, a more fruitful life that then it becomes something that is very exciting. Like you said, yeah. the idea that it's just unattainable, you know, that you can't do it. Like you said, you can start today. Yeah. Today is a great day to start. Tomorrow right. is a day. And I think also not feeling, you know, a lot of times as, as women, we feel like we have to be really perfect at everything. And I think it's okay to just kind of take it as a present over perfect type of thing. Like you make small baby steps today and more tomorrow. And then you look back a year from now and you think, wow, I'm in a totally different financial position than I was 12 months ago. Right. And then when other people are saying, and I've heard this so many times from women, you know, their husbands or their whoever it is, you know, oh, what is what are those expressions? Like she never met a check she didn't love, or um, you know, she you know, she buys some new clothes or whatever. You don't know how to handle your money. But that those kind of things you start to believe it. You know, and if you can say, I'm gonna show them, you know, and absolutely. Yeah, because that really is a thing. Um, you kind of start thinking, I am pathetic with money, you know. <laughs> but really, never too late to learn. Never too okay, late. Okay, so, so Emily, you experienced a terrible tragedy at such a young age, becoming a widow. And my mother, uh, my father died when I was two of leukemia. Um, and it was before they had chemotherapy or anything. So they, they found out he was sick and six months later he you know he he had died he was a young doctor at johns hopkins in baltimore and it's very sad oh, she remarried when i was four and that husband of hers has been you know my father he's been my daddy forever because i was so young but i know um kind of firsthand you know the repercussions of that and yeah. having children and how you deal with all that and so um Besides dealing with all the emotions that go along with it, then you have to deal, like you said, with the finances and figuring out about health insurance and, you know, just all of the responsibility is on you. Thank goodness you have your dad as an advisor financially and obviously your family for support. But what would be your advice or encouragement to women who find themselves in a situation that is, you know, truly overwhelming? Right, right. No, um, and I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. It's so amazing. Yeah. It's so interesting the number of people that I talk to. You know, once you're in a club and you start, <laughs> you, right. you start, and people share their stories. And I always, um, I love to hear, you know, different people's takes on it. And especially, mm -hmm. like, from your perspective, you know, what it was like to grow up in a home um, mm -hmm. where you lost your dad. I love to hear people share their stories on that. But um, I guess, you know, this is seems a little trite, but it really is just an encouragement that we as women really know how to rise to the occasion. And especially uh, when our kids are involved, you're, 
you're going to do what it takes and it may not be easy, but, but we can do it. And, um, you know, I think about myself and how I felt and, you know, I, I was a professional. I mean, I was very involved, um, in the business aspects of things. So, you know, I wasn't coming in with somebody who had no experience or exposure Mm -hmm. and I was still scared. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to do it. And, um, and, you know, I, I think the most important thing there is to get your team, um, find an advisor that you trust um, that can help walk you through all your next steps, find an attorney that can help you take care of the legal side of um, any of the estate issues that come up. And, you know, getting a, a new insurance agent so that you're covered um, in case of another tragedy, things like that. I just, I had such a great team that it really helped encourage me and it allowed me to grieve. Um, That's great. And I I just would encourage people to do that, but then also just to encourage them that they they really are going to make it. And not only Mm -hmm. that, um, there's so many, there's things now that I look back on that, I, I can see how it shifted the trajectory of my life for sure, but mm-hmm. there's just really been so um, many cool things that have come out of it, mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. pushing myself to do this. And now I'm so thankful for those that have helped me, but also for those that have taught me. Uh, one of the things my dad did, you know, was as an advisor and what we like to do in our practice is not only do we come in and help women do what they need to do, but we also teach them how to do it themselves. And I remember in the beginning, um, right after my husband died and he died in a plane crash. So, I mean, it was, he, he was an attorney, but, um, loved to fly. It was a hobby and would fly to meetings. Um, and he, he got in some bad weather and crashed. And so it was a very, fast thing, you know, it was obviously wow, very sudden. and it was just like, you know, here one minute and gone the Can't next. Can't be happening, right. No, and so we didn't have any like time to prepare, but um, I, you know, at the, at the beginning of that, so many people just took care of stuff for me, you know, so I didn't have to do sure. it. But then my dad started just like sending me emails of like, hey, I want you to call this person and tell them that you need this, you know, okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, just mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Just sort of spoon feeding me, but then it was like, okay, well now this is yours. I'm not going right. to that anymore. And that's really, we like to do that as well with our clients is because it is empowering. Um, you know right. what needs to be done. And all of a sudden you find that you've learned so much over the course of the year without feeling the pressure of like, I have to be an expert in this. You have support, but you're also learning how to do it. And um, I just think that's so important. So looking back, I have to say, I'm sort of proud of myself uh, for all that I have learned. And I mean, yeah, I I thought it was so important. What my dad did for me is that I completely shifted careers um, to doing this with Lauren and just, um, because we both have such a heart for serving women in this way and other families, because you can do it on the other side, you know, working with a husband and wife and really kind of talking to through with them, what needs to be done in case of uh, something like this happens. You can kind of 
work at it from both angles. Yeah, that's wonderful. And it's, you know, it's sort of like, okay, if your daddy did it for you and then your husband does it for you and then the wealth edit does it for you, you're still not in control. You're just putting the responsibility to yet someone else outside of yourself. So I think that's brilliant and super important that you're there, you know, to teach people how to take care of it themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. Now, when and how can people go about building that team? When is it that you should start doing things like that? Is it before or after something like that happens? Uh, definitely before is preferable. <laughs> right. Uh, <Yeah>. Definitely <laughs> before. But you know, we talked about earlier and Lauren, I'll let you jump in on this one as well. But, you know, um, calling your financial advisor that you have now and saying, hey, my husband and I, you know, use you, but I'm really wanting to get more involved and would like to have a better understanding of where we are financially. You know, creating that relationship with your advisor on the front end is really helpful if something happens and then you because you already have a relationship with them it's hard to um you know just jump in in right. the middle of a tragedy because you're sure. you have a brain fog and you're right. like i'm not even sure and i don't have time to interview you know 30 right. advisors and see who i really connect with so you know not being afraid to tell your husband if you do meet with your advisor or let's say the advisor doesn't want to meet with you, you know, considering maybe working with one that you both connect with. Mm -hmm. Lauren, what that's would you add to that? No, I think that that, I think that that's completely right. And I think that it's, it's okay to, to search outside if you're uncomfortable with the relationship that you have now. So, you know, when I look around at other people that are in our business, um, everyone's pretty friendly, you know, and everyone's pretty nice. And it's someone that you'd probably want to, um, usually when people get into some sort of advisory relationship is because they know, like, and trust the person. Um, I think that's a good, that's a good place to start, but they also, what I think people kind of discount, and I'll give you an example. Like when I moved from um, the big wirehouse firm to high tower. I was so excited because I was able to take full fiduciary responsibility for my clients, which means, um, there's two standards of care in our industry. There's the, um, you know, this, we have to buy this and it's in your best interest. And that means yeah. like, if we buy something for you and it's in your best interest, then that means I'm putting, um, my, I'm putting, your interests ahead of my own. There's also the suitability standard, and that is, it just has to be suitable for you, you know, and that that's a much lower standard of care. So when I moved, I was so excited because I could finally serve as a fiduciary to my clients. Um, my clients largely came with me because they trusted me. And, and I, while that's very flattering, I, I think why why people should be with an advisor is because they're also acting responsibly. And so, so what I mean by that is making sure that you have someone who, or at least where there's one person on the team who's a certified financial planner who can really help you with these kind of planning based issues. I think that's very important. Um, and someone that's going to actually, you know, abide by the fiduciary standard of care. It's very important. All CFPs have to do that. Um, but not all advisors have to. So really knowing, 
sort of one, what's underneath the hood of this very likable person that might be sitting across from you. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, I think that that's big. That's great advice. So tell us, May, and maybe you feel like we've said this, but what is a financial advisor? And are there any qualifications for having one? Like, do you have to have a certain amount of income, things like that? Yeah, so there's, what's really nice, so, so every advisor that you meet with is going to kind of have a different practice, a different point of view, um, which is what makes it, I think, kind of confusing. So, so I think that a financial advisor is someone that is going to give you financial advice. So that might be that they do portfolio management for you. And this is what you really have to understand from asking some questions. And actually in follow-up, we'll create some good questions that we feel like um, you should maybe ask if you're interviewing advisors. Cause I think that that would be, that's a good thing that we need to put on the wealth edit anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, figure out if they're a financial planner or do they just kind of invest your money? A lot of firms do both. That's what we do. We do both, but you'll hit some firms that are financial planning firms and others that just do um, the portfolio management. So it might be, depending on what you're looking for, um, looking for a more comprehensive experience is, is probably good, especially when you're starting out. And what I've been really pleased to see is that there's been a lot of places online um, that if you're just trying to create an entry point into investing, um, that they're there to help you. I, and so uh, two that come to mind, I mentioned one earlier in the call, we really like Elvest because it's set up for women. We think that's a good place if you're just starting out um, to go. And then another place online, again, we're, we're talking just starting out, is Facet Wealth. And everyone at Facet is a CFP, so a certified financial planner, which I really, really like about that particular program. I think that that would be... Um, a, a really solid place to start if you're looking for that comprehensive um, relationship. And there's, there's other places too. And then as you go along, it may be that you start with an advisor for a season. And then as your wealth um, trajectory gets more complex, that you might need someone else, or you might just need something that's, that's very, um, a more intimate experience. And so that's when it really gets into that kind of interviewing, who am I going to feel comfortable saying, hey, what do you mean by return on investment? What do you mean by donor advised fund? Do I need one of those? I mean, our, mm -hmm. uh, my clients, or some of our clients call us, but you know, any time of the day and they say, do I have enough? You were just talking about emergency funds. Do I have enough in mind? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, it, so it's good to have someone that, you, that you're really in relationship with. In our, in our private practice, we are more interested in interesting and meaningful relationships than we are you know, how many assets that you might bring to the table. So, so I think you just got to find the right fit uh, for you and what you might feel comfortable with. Some people might run away from having a, an interesting relationship with an advisor. They might just want someone who invests their money, but mm -hmm. that's why it's important to kind of know, know what you're, what you're looking for and, and where you might feel comfortable. So interview several people. Absolutely. I, I started, when I started considering working in this industry, I uh, interviewed with, I probably went, I kind of did a deep dive with five different groups. Um, and each, it was so interesting to me coming at it as somebody new to the industry, how different each of their services were. And not that any were better than others. It was just what 
you know, type of client were they serving? Um, where were their strengths? How did, you know, some enjoyed doing only investments and love like picking certain stocks and that was their thing. There were others that only wanted to, um, you know, serve higher net worth families, you know, so each of them really, you know, it's really, each group can be very different. So take your time and dig in and meet them. And so, and like Lauren said, not only is your, do you connect with them, you know, from a, a personal level and wanting to work with them and trust them, but also do the services they offer suit what you need. Yes. And so let's see, Elvest is E-L-L-E-V-E-S-T and then Facet. How is that one spelled? Yeah, it's F-A-C-E-T, Wealth. Okay. And we'll, um, we'll, we'll send you links afterwards too, if you want to post. Since both of y'all worked in primarily male dominated fields, tell us, Lauren, what was it like working at Merrill Lynch, the culture, were there many women on your teams and also Emily in law? <laughs> Emily, you want to go, go first? Um, um, sure. So yeah, especially when I, I graduated from law school in 2000, I was like thinking back, yes, in 2000. So <laughs> it's been a while, but really kind of at that time there were, you know, there were a fair number of women in my class, but when I went to work, really, it definitely was a male dominated um, industry, but I, I have to be honest with you. I never really had a problem with it. I am, that's not really my personality anyway. So perhaps it had something to do with that. And Lauren, I probably would, um, put you in the same camp as me. You know, I was just going to do what I needed to do and, uh, wasn't going to take it personally. So, um, but I will say it's actually, been like in the plus category for me coming into this new industry because I am used to being the only female in the room and uh, learning to sort of advocate for myself and also kind of play on the strength of being a female and that we do oftentimes have a different perspective and I think especially now men are really uh, realizing that women have a lot to bring to the table and are often better at the the softer side of, um, of business skills. So like being able mm -hmm. to read different people's personalities or the situation, not that men cannot do that, but um, I would say as a whole, women are generally more thoughtful about that kind of thing. And so what I have found is just trying to like play off that and like jump in mm -hmm. where I feel like I can add value. So you know, it is a thing, uh, but I think you just kind of have to have a good attitude about it and push forward. And thankfully, I have not ever had any really bad experience with it. What about you, Lauren? Did you? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that, that definitely I think where it plays out and where you see, uh, and this is certainly, you know, it, the numbers just aren't there for women in financial services. Um, but a lot of how people, it, it's funny, are industry, it's like a big contest who can collect the most um, assets under management or advisory. And so that gives you more negotiating power. It, the more you have, we've never really played that game. That's not really our thing. So, um, and again, that's not something that women would naturally be inclined to like get real excited about. And, uh, but I think where, where that may hurt a little bit is, you know, if let's say that an older 
advisor, and all of them are primarily male, um, are is retiring, more than likely he's looking for like someone that looks just like him. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really where we see like a good bit of inequality still happen um, in the advisory business. Now, I will say that uh, we we i'd say both male and female as far as our private clients are concerned the the men and women that we have who are our clients are equally great advocates for us in our practice so i'd say to emily's point about having a good attitude just kind of going along with it it may be because i grew up with brothers I, i don't know what it is but but some of this stuff probably flies right over my head and i don't even see it um as far as things to get upset about. But, um, but I do think that having a good attitude, um, understanding that people, it will take for things to change. And this is, we are very passionate about women's issues in our firm and making, you know, gender equality and all of those things. And it's going to take both men and women. And so we're very appreciative of the men that have brought us, um, given us seats at tables where we needed it and the women. So I think that, that more and more of that will happen, but there's certainly um, inequality that exists. That's that's real, um, and you know. But we're we're just trying to fix it with our little um, our little practice down here in Alabama. So not too anyway. little, not too little. It's growing so quickly. You know, I just when when Delia asked you that, I remembered I, my first job out of college. I was a sales assistant at Merrill Lynch downtown. Yeah. And there was one, one woman who was a stockbroker. Mm-hmm. All of us were women, all the sales assistants and the office manager. She was a woman, but all of the others were men. And I never even thought about it till right now. June Mays, I believe was her name. She was the only female stockbroker. Yes. And she yep. was a go-getter for sure. That is so yeah. interesting. Those are the real women that we should salute because they they went through the they right. were on the front lines. I mean, it, it's yeah. way easier for me than it was for them right. for sure. Hmm. Seriously, when you hear Sally Crawcheck talking about all the stuff she had to deal with and <laughs> everything like that, it's crazy. It is. It is. Well, thank y'all so much. This was wonderful. Oh, we've loved being with y'all. We we just love what you're doing, and um, and it's it's fun to watch y'all grow as we grow. Yes, yes most Absolutely. definitely. Thank y'all for taking the time to interview us. Oh, we, of course. Thank you for sharing the insights. Definitely. Now, where can people find you? Okay, so they can find us on www.wealthedit.com. And what you do if you if you want to become a member, um, and we'll give a little coupon code for Style That Binds Us um, for your tribe, but you go on and you take a quiz. And what that does is that gives us information about which glide path we should place you on. And um, a lot of times glide paths, they don't fit perfectly, but they fit very, very close. So maybe you're a Sarah, which is, you know, secure, adventurous, resourceful, and athletic, and you don't feel particularly athletic, but those other three things really fit you. So that, that happens a lot of the time. Um, so anyway, you take your, your quiz and then we'll, um, we'll get back to you and we'll, um, we'll give you a little link to join our membership. And then from there, you're just part of our community, which has been really vibrant. It's funny. I thought people would come for the content 
um, because of course we think that's really great. But um, I think people are really uh, a part of it for the community. So so sure. we're we're excited about what we're building. Well, so are we. Yes, that's very much aligns with what we're doing too. So thank you all, both of y'all so very much. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, thank you. If you like what you heard, tell a friend about our show, subscribe to our podcast, and also scroll to the bottom and give a rating and or a review. Those are the best ways for other people to find out about our podcast. See you next time. Bye.